This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Enterprise BizBytes. My name is Rich Bradbury, of course. Uh, I'm going to be with you for about the next hour or so. Uh, and today, uh, I've got a visitor in the studio. It's somebody that's not been here live in the studio, actually physically in the studio for some time. It's uh, Culture Pop's Matt Armitage. Hello, sir. Hey, Richard. It's uh, well, it's lovely to be here. It's very strange to be anywhere in corporeal form. <laughs> I'm not used to it. I, I think the uh, interns were very excited about seeing you in a whole bunch of people here in the office were very excited about seeing you knowing that you actually do exist in a real physical form it was something that they were you know they wanted to they essentially wanted me to prove it was true yeah uh, i i love to disappoint people in the in the flesh (laughs) now the reason that uh, one of the reasons that we brought you here of course is we do have this event happening on the 19th the enterprise breakaway uh, and you will be uh, moderating one of those panels Uh, of course the panel is will ai and chat gpt threaten or strengthen my business um not exactly an easy question uh, and not exactly uh, an answer that you can give, I'm guessing, in one sentence. But uh, if you could, what would you say? Yeah, it, no, the, it is very difficult to structure because this is such an evolving marketplace. We're seeing this gap between legislation and regulation. We're seeing companies being a little bit reticent to bring these tools in, mm. but at the same time fearing the competitive advantage mm. that they may lose to their rivals mm. if they don't. So we're seeing a lot of kind of hedging, a lot of indecision, but we're also seeing some people implementing really good AI-based solutions right. and and racing ahead. So it is going to be a, an interesting discussion. I think it's going to cover a lot of new ground because essentially these tools weren't there in this form until mm. earlier this year. Mm, so, mm. you know, everyone... Uh, when people say, oh, we'll talk to the experts, there aren't really experts in this field because Mm. it's evolving so fast and the capacity of these machines Mm. is changing and adapting so quickly that um, it is very difficult to to have a kind of definitive answer to what's Mm. going on. Okay, uh, I don't want you to give too much away, of course, because we want to try and keep so much of that for the panel. Now, I've got Matt here in the studio, so I'm going to take full advantage of that to talk about some tech stories and some of the stuff that's been kind of uh, ramping up over the last uh, week or so. Of course, yesterday's uh, Tech Tuesday didn't happen, so we're going to do it on Wednesday. What do we call it? It can't be Tech Wednesday. Um, well, What about know. Wednesday? What about Wednesday? Let's go with that. So um, it wouldn't be a tech show uh, without some kind of... Uh, here's your favourite man. If you ever listen to uh, Matt's plane, and I'm sure a bunch of you do, um, Elon Musk is uh, one of uh, Matt's favourite um, people. Right, Matt? I don't have any theoretical issues with Elon right. Musk. I kind of have issues about the way people respond to the things that he does. The, I think that's probably the best way to, that, to phrase it. That works, yeah. So obviously the owner of X, uh, Elon, uh, he's made a bit of a change to the platform by uh, removing headlines from articles, which of course has led to confusion amongst others. It's intended to combat clickbait and apparently to improve aesthetics. Uh, has it raised questions about his commitment to making X an accurate source of information? Critics have argued that it may hinder traffic to news sites and suggest that uh, he wants users to upload content directly onto X instead of posting links that send people off the site. Meanwhile, the rival social network, Threads, uh, launched by Meta, of course, has seen an opportunity in X's changes as they aim to provide real-time news updates. Matt, what do you think about this? 
Well, I mean, if we just look at what X has been doing. So if we look at this in the context of, say, the middle of last week, mm. uh, X was already having uh, issues, let's say, with the amount of misinformation on the platform. So a lot of independent uh Regulators, I read a couple of reports last week. I probably should have made note of them so that I could quote them here, but I didn't. Uh, but there were uh, comments that it's becoming increasingly difficult to find true information sources on uh, on Twitter. So, for example, people posing as BBC journalists and buying a blue tick, uh, but obviously the, the not being a BBC journalist mm. and it, it's misinformation. Some of these are pranks. Some of these are um, malicious. So it has become more difficult over the past few months with the reduction in uh, uh, staffing levels at the company to determine what's true of and course. what isn't. So mm -hmm. this idea of taking the headline away just increases the confusion because you can put pretty much any photo to accompany an article, and that will now be what people mm. see. So mm. you have no idea what it is that you're clicking through to. You know, you can just put a picture of Mickey Mouse and then go to whatever propaganda you, you want to post. Now, as I said, this is in the context of last week. We now have the Gaza conflict. Mm. And, of course, we've seen in previous um, uh incidents in in Israel and uh, and Palestine but also through the, the the wider kind of Middle East Twitter was a really critical tool for news and information gathering mm -hmm. now in the face of these changes that becomes exponentially harder so we've seen uh, a lot of fakes going up so uh, people saying that footage from the Syrian civil war from a few years ago was details of yeah. Hamas strikes uh, so we've seen all of this flood of misinformation and with these changes, it's now even more difficult to discern um, mm. fact from fiction. Mm -hmm. Difficult situation to be in as a consumer as well, you know, because it, it's not just that. I mean, Twitter was or X, whatever, was never really the place that I would go to make sure that the news that I was reading was 100% accurate. It would be that place where I would start the filter for my for my news you know i'd look at two or three different stories and i'd go off and now without being able to see a, a headline it makes it more difficult for me to start feeding the stuff into my filter do you know what i mean by that yeah i mean i'm one of those people who gave up on twitter an awful long time ago so i have other ways of gathering mm. information um and and gathering news but i think you you mentioned, for example, that Threads is seeing this as a yeah. potential opportunity. <laughs> and uh, I did go back onto my Threads account this week. I haven't been on it for the last sort of couple of months. And uh, when I knew I was coming in and I'd be talking about this, I went onto Threads and I, you know, I put up a post. Zero interactions. Wow. And then when I look through my, my feed... Uh, most of the, the posts that I see have very few or very little interaction. So I know that uh, Meta is saying that it's going to do things to improve traction, but we don't know what those things of course. are. Yeah. And, and again, just that little thing that makes it so much easier on platforms like S, the X, the, the hashtag. Mm. You know, it makes it so much easier to find information if you have that way of, of sorting mm, it, of mm, filing mm, it, mm. which is essentially what, what a hashtag is. It's mm. just a, a file. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Threads still looks very kind of 
empty and it does uh, right yeah there's a there's a bit of a sort of you know you can feel the tumbleweeds but at the same time i'm not using x either because that just does not feel like a, a place you want to spend time and that's exactly the situation that i'm in i'm not using either since the launch of threads and i got excited about that and i started using it like you did i mean i think i joined eight minutes after you joined and you scolded me for those eight minutes i've not used either of them because it, it feels now that neither of them have the appeal well that's that's the thing and uh the other question to ask is, do you miss being on those no. platforms? No, because that's that's the issue that we have. And that's one of the things that we've talked about on Matt's Explained a lot, which yeah. is about the cost of social media. Now, yeah. we think because things are free, we're not paying for them. We are. We pay with our data. But at the same time, now that X uh, is trying to charge users, a lot of users are finding that it doesn't have enough mm -hmm. utility for them mm -hmm. to justify spending money. I agree. Um, speaking about spending money, we're going to be talking about Spotify in just a couple of minutes. Before that, though, we need to take a short break. Of course, you are tuned in to Enterprise Biz Bites here on BFM 89.9. We've got a short break, a bit of music, and then we'll be right back here on BFM 89.9, the business station. Best flipping moments. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. That was Green Day with When I Come Around. Uh, my name is Rich Bradbury. The voice you've just heard then is Matt Armitage from culturepop.com. I know. I have to say that I'm okay at every point during the procedure. I know, right? Yeah. Anyway, um, so just before the break, we were speaking about uh, Elon uh, killing article headlines on X and how it may offer threads a second chance, though uh, that is debatable and uh, up for negotiation. I want to move on and speak a little bit about Spotify, though. Do you still use Spotify, by the way? Spotify is my main uh, is. streaming platform, yeah. I mean, I, I have Apple Music as well because... Why not? Uh, well, I buy other Apple services, so mm -hmm. it's it's rolled in, but I actually prefer to spend my time on Spotify really? if I'm given a choice between the two. That's yeah. interesting. I'm the opposite. Uh, although I do have both, but I, I, pref yeah, I, I, I prefer some of the... Uh, the, the the Dolby Atmos kind of stuff, even though I'm only listening on a pair of AirPods. Yeah, you know. because I, it, it's more about uh, music discovery for me. So right. Spotify is a much better music mm -hmm. discovery platform, I find, than Apple is. Sound quality, I think, mm -hmm. yes, mm -hmm. probably better on, on Apple. But I'm mostly listening over Bluetooth anyway, so... Mm -hmm. What does the sound quality matter? Right. So what they're doing is apparently they're reportedly launching this new super premium tier, uh, which apparently has got more features. So they've been actively introducing some of the new features, including AI-driven tools and artist promotion options to uh, allegedly enhance its platform. So they're planning to launch this new subscription that offers, um, obviously, it's a higher price point. It's priced at uh, 19 Excuse me, $19.99, um, £16.33. What's that in ringgit? I'll get to that in a minute. It's, it's about 100 ringgit. About 100 ringgit, yeah. It's expected to provide lossless audio quality. Uh, that's obviously what Apple already provides as part of their service on certain uh, albums. Um, new listing statistics, uh, an audiobook feature, AI-powered playlist generation tools, and this audiobook feature allows up to 15 hours of streaming per month already been introduced in the UK and Australia, and apparently is going to come to the US, and I'm guessing the rest of the world a little bit later on. Uh, so, what do you thought about Are you willing to shell out 100 ringgit for Spotify? Well, I currently pay the uh, the current premium, which is like 50-something, mm. so I'm already in the, the 
premium tier. Would I go up to super premium? I don't really understand this package, to be perfectly honest. I don't understand uh, what it offers me above and beyond what I already get. Already so, get, yeah. Uh, the, the 15 hours of uh, audiobook streaming a month, well, that's roughly a book, a book and a half. Uh, I consume a lot of audiobooks. It's actually the, the only way that I consume books. And I probably buy anywhere up to between five and seven titles a month from Audible. Uh, so 15 hours streaming to me is, you know, that's half a week's worth of, right. of streaming. Uh, the prices that Audible charges for books, it's usually around, I think it's around um, £6 or $6. So it's around half of that's for per book. So I can't really see why this offers me any better value than I would get using a service like Audible, Audible. already. Uh, as you said, the lossless audio, that's something that you already get on most of the other streaming services for your premium subscription. And AI-powered playlist generation tools, they're not really a benefit to me. That's actually more of a way of the company uh, selling me the content that it wants to, to play to me. That's what I was going to Yeah, yeah. Uh, which when you see that uh, they've already introduced kind of um, not, not pay-to-play schemes, because we know those aren't legal in most instances, but certainly pay-to-advertise music streams for, for independent artists mm -hmm. on the platform. So again, I don't see what this actually offers me above and beyond what I'm already getting, um, given that a lot of people mm. do have, like us, more than one streaming service mm. that they're subscribed to, because these things tend to be bundled with other tools. Um, I have YouTube Music, which I don't use because I have a premium subscription on YouTube. Yep. I have uh, Amazon Music, which I don't use because I have subscription services with, with Amazon. Yep. So I don't really see how this is going to sort of move the needle for them in terms of sales. I, I think they would have to actually make this. I mean, there's, there's just nothing in there that incentivizes it, really. I think they would have to retool this to, to make it attractive to, to use. Do you think that maybe they're just jumping on the AI bandwagon and just using that phrase. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Spotify's discovery for me has been pretty accurate so far. You know, it knows what I like to a degree. And using an AI DJ or whatever it is that they're pushing across, is it just like, okay, well, that's the current zeitgeist. Let's, I mean, let's play around with that a little bit. Well, I mean, that's one of the big differentiators between um, Apple and, uh, and Spotify, really. There's a lot of human-curated mm. um, radio shows and podcasts, if you will, on, on Apple Music. And people who like that format tend to go for that. Mm. I'm not sure that people really want an AI-generated voice to cut, cut into their algorithmically generated playlists. A lot of people who want that format just want to hear the music. They don't mm. need a machine to, to kind of cut in mm. or else they would be using those services from other platforms. So I'm not sure what it's offering. And also, just to that point about, is it jumping on the AI bandwagon? Spotify is an algorithmic platform uh, to begin with. Yeah. So most of the playlists that it creates for you are created by 
some form yeah. of algorithms. And so, they have been for years. And they have been for years. I mean, that's one of the, the, the reasons I said it's a much better mm. discovery tool mm. for new music than, than Apple mm. Music is. So, yeah, I, I don't understand Super Premium I, because I simply don't understand what it's offering me above and beyond what I'm already paying for. It just feels like pure marketing mumbo-jumbo. I mean, I mean, I, I mean that super premium you know i can almost imagine the sound in my head well this i mean to be honest this is what i would expect them to introduce to their premium users to try and boost that premium user base i don't see people migrating from premium to super mm. premium based on these tools mm. however this might have been enough to get people to upgrade from free to to premium so whether this is kind of as you said a, a marketing exercise that becomes an own goal mm. uh, or whether this does actually you know shift, as I said, that needle for them in mm -hmm. terms of the number of subscribers, uh, I wouldn't expect it to. Okay, uh, let's move on. Uh, and of course, this is a topic that we've talked about on, on Matt's Plane before. We've also spoken about it on um, Enterprise BizBytes in the past, but we're going back to the uh, idea of voice actors and their worry that generative AI uh, can steal their livelihoods. You know, um, there's a voice actor, uh, her name is Allegra Clark, and she discovered a video on TikTok featuring a character uh, she'd voiced from a video game. The game is Genshin Impact. Uh, some of you will have heard about that, of course. Um, and it's saying sexually suggestive things, obviously, that she never recorded. Um, so the video used generative AI to clone her voice, which, of course, raises concerns about consent, contract violations, and potential misuse of AI-generated voices, as we've spoken about many, many times. Eleven Labs, the company behind the AI tool used to clone the voices, initially declined to take down the video, uh, stating it would only act if the content was hate speech or defamatory. Uh, the voice company later introduced a voice capture tool requiring explicit con uh, consent from voice owners before cloning their voices for potentially damaging content. And of course, some actor, some voice actors have called for protections against the unauthorized use of their voices, highlighting the lack of legal protection for voices as uh, intellectual property. Uh, what about this one then? Well, this is a really interesting story, and it kind of loops back around to what we were talking about X earlier mm. and. Uh, that inability that a lot of people have now to sort fact from fiction because we have all of these tools that blur the lines. So this, you know, a year ago, the idea that this kind of tool could be available for consumers uh, is almost unthinkable. I we mean, were raving about, you know, voice AI, uh, not maybe a year ago. About, yeah, no, so we were, and we were talking about you know, the amount of effort that you had to put yeah. into to train the, the voice models. Yeah. Now they can just take a snippet, yeah. you know, a few seconds of dialogue and they can accurately clone the, the voice. So th this is where we have this issue with the rapid evolution of AI tools because they are expanding faster than the legislation to uh, govern and control them. Mm. We're in this, you know, regulatory... Uh, regulatory void when it comes to a lot of AI tools. And, you know, we, we I mean, you mentioned, I think, um, uh, copyright violations yeah. and copyright laws need to be reshaped and reformed for this digital era. Uh, the ones that we have are rooted in that non-digital past. Uh, the same with uh, the uh, 
broadcast rights, uh, transmission rights for uh, a lot of the content that's that's coming out. And it's then, incredibly confusing. Sorry to interrupt. But oh, no, it, no, it, it, it's region by region. It's country by country. These laws, uh, th- there is no like one one law rules them all. Do you know what I mean? No, and that's one of the that's one of the issues. Yeah. You see, you have consumers existing in a borderless digital space, yeah. and you have national laws that fail to govern or, or control the content that people are consuming in that space. Mm. So there has to be a lot more uh, convergence and agreement on how these tools are are used and governed. Uh, of course, the, the company saying that they're only going to take things down uh, if it's, you know, offensive or... Hate or speech, whatever, hate defamatory. Speech, uh, that, I think, is the wrong position for the, the company to take. Uh, again, that's the, uh, the disruptive approach, but in the long term, that, that doesn't do anyone a lot of good. So what we've seen is a, a lot of the other... Uh, cloning technologies have sort of followed suit to to put uh, disclaimers and uh, require uh, more consent in Mm. order to to actually generate these voice prints. But, I mean, we have seen so much of this proliferating across TikTok and across Instagram and across YouTube. It's almost become the norm for people. I mean, you can even buy apps or download apps from the app store that will do this. And they are unconcerned about the content that you record you know it, it's not like there is something say are you about to say something sexually suggestive are you about to say something defamatory it's not even baked into the app you know so you're reliant on your potential audience or your potential user to self-regulate and of course if you've got younger people playing they're going to want to you know you know what yeah, i mean they, they, they want to experiment they, they want, want to experiment. push the, the boundaries Correct. of the, the yeah. technology i mean these aren't necessarily new problems i mean we've had the issue of um uh adult content and photoshopping so yes. celebrities faces being put into to adult content what's different is that now you can do it by just typing in a text prompt mm. you don't need to have any particular skill in the with with the software or mm. or in editing to to do this so that's why we need these kind of regulatory frameworks and also we also have to adapt to them it's it's not just about governments it's actually about those those social constructs as well it's about saying as a society what is acceptable and mm. what isn't mm. acceptable uh, and people behaving according to to those rules you know we're still in this kind of wild west phase mm. with the the internet that people go online and think no one knows who i am i can do and say exactly what i please things that they would never dream of doing in real life so we need that real life experience to to come over to the digital world mm. just to to guide what is and isn't acceptable behavior right okay we're going to take another short break here folks of course you are tuned into enterprise biz bites uh, i've got matt armitage from culture pop here in the studio with me right now uh one of the reasons i brought him here of course is he will be uh, moderating a panel at our event on the 19th the enterprise breakaway 2023 panel he's moderating is uh, panel number two will ai and chat gpt threaten or strengthen my business 
business. ChatGPT, of course, became the fastest app to hit 100 million users. Backed by Microsoft, OpenAI looked primed to disrupt the world of business forever, ushering in a generation of next-gen technology that will and is overhauling the way that we do business. Of course, that will be discussed during that panel. Um, now, if you want to stand the chance of winning a couple of tickets for that event, get us on our U-Mobile WhatsApp number by answering this question correctly. AI systems can learn and improve their performance without explicit programming. Is that statement true or false? Get us on 018-789-8899. We're going to take a break. We've got some music coming up from Blink-182 with I Miss You here on BFM 89.9. Best for money. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bites. My name is Rich Bradbury. Still here in the studio with Matt Armitage from culturepop.com. Of course, not managed to scare him off just yet. Uh, I might work on that a little bit later on. Uh, thank you for staying with us, Matt. Um, I'm just going to switch on your microphone. That might help, huh? I'm Thank glad you. you're here. I, I know. Well, I, I spoke in the wrong place last time, and this time I've been muted. They're, they're trying to silence me. It's indeed. like Elon Musk said. It, what's that? What, um, a bunch of stuff. It's not just that what he said. It's also him removing headlines, which, of course, if you didn't know about that, you should probably tune in uh, to this uh, podcast a little bit later on, uh, just in case you missed that. Now, um, before the break, what were we speaking about before the break? Oh, yes, we had a, a little chat about Spotify. Then we had a chat about... Um, OpenAI taking over, or, or rather, um, people on TikTok using generative voices and, and whatever to generate content that they really shouldn't be doing. Now, um, here's a, a kind of uplifting story, I guess. Um, in some ways, Huawei, um, they have uh, patented a phone microscope camera that can detect bacteria. Um, so they obtained this patent from the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office uh, for smartphone microscope camera tech that can magnify objects from 20 to 400 times uh, by a minimum distance of 5 millimeters and analyze the images for bacteria. Now, I'm just wondering what Instagram is going to look like after this becomes a thing. And I'm sure this is something that you want to discuss on uh, Matt's plane at some point later on, right? It's part of their efforts to stand out and attract consumers in a highly competitive smartphone market, of course. We've seen Apple's new, is it five times Zoom or something they've got on their new phone? Um, They haven't confirmed if this tech will be used in the future flagship phones yet, but it utilizes two cameras, one for capturing regular images and another for microscopic analysis. And of course, it can be used for various purposes, including food safety, uh, kitchen utensil maintenance, perhaps, personal hygiene assessment, children's toys inspections uh, and maybe pet hygiene monitoring i'm expecting there to be a heck of a, a lot of other use cases as well well yeah who doesn't want a microscope <laughs> attached to their phone i mean that is just the coolest thing if you remember you know being a kid yes and the first time at school you got your hands on a a fairly decent microscope you know a lot of kids had uh, sort of the toy microscopes Mm -hmm. and the science kits and whatever. But that first time that you get your hands on a a real one with the glass slides and the the, the proper magnification and you see all of these microscopic things, it's quite incredible. So who wouldn't want to be able to do that with with their phone? I mean, I think a lot of the, the listed purposes that, you know, they're all around personal hygiene, mm, you know, mm. children's toys inspection, like you said, pet hygiene. That's all 
a little a little bit dull. But I can imagine the potential uses for this um, just in terms of, you know, scientific applications in terms of field microscopes. So we've seen, you know, various adaptations so that uh, uh, phone cameras can be used to capture the images from high-powered mm. uh, microscopes. If you had this kind of technology on your phone, it would allow you to do much more in the field because you could look at samples as and when where you, know, you are, wherever you, you are. are, yeah, yeah. So this is a really exciting development. Is it going to be used for stupid stuff? Of course it is. Is it going to be used for rude stuff? Of course it is. But that is just the nature of microscopes. Um, but it's yeah. really thinking outside the box as well. For you know, for for Huawei to, to do something like this. Well, no, actually, it's zooming really tightly into one corner of the box. <laughs> okay. um, but no, I, I get what you I get what you think. But you know, we're seeing that the, the, the cameras and the lenses on the cameras are getting incredibly good. Mm. Uh, the resolution of the pictures is very good. So I think, without having looked at the technology, I'm, I imagine this is you know a kind of an, a, an upscaling thing. So you're using software to look at very very small parts of the the image that's that's captured. But even that is just a fantastic. Advance and something again we probably wouldn't have thought was possible a couple of years ago. It is very cool, I have to admit. Yeah, yeah. and it does make me think. Of me, I'd probably just purchase a Huawei phone just entirely for that. I I would think about it. Yeah, even yeah. if I stayed connected to the Apple ecosystem. And again, I think that um, you know nano level images would make. Instagram a much more interesting I, I place. I completely agree. You know, if somebody's taking a, a, a microscopic picture of uh, of their lunch, oh, here's the bacteria <laughs> on my sandwich. That's a lot more fun than just looking at, you know, something artfully arranged on a table. A, a croffle or something. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, yeah, good story. Now, next, um, we've spoken about this before. And, and funnily enough, I spoke to a company about this just a couple of weeks ago. They, they essentially have a, uh, a, a company which uses chat GPT and AI, and they're, uh, um, they marketed themselves as a green company, right? And my, one of my questions to them was along the lines of, you're using a huge amount of generative AI, uh, yet part of the problem of using that amount of processing power, which we, is that it uses a heck of a lot of energy, you know, and it does. We've spoken about this before. Now, a new study has warned that the AI industry could consume as much energy as a country the size of the Netherlands by 2027. Um, It comes from a study, uh, and it's uh, speculative due to the lack of some data disclosure by some tech firms, but it estimates that AI could consume between 85 to 134 terawatt hours of electricity annually, uh, and we know it requires powerful hardware. We know it requires powerful data centers. But um, this is going to be a genuine concern moving forward as we talk about how rapidly AI is evolving, of course, and it's going to expand and we're going to need more data centers and there's going to be lots more people using it. How can we potentially combat something like this? Well, there's a, a lot of ways. I mean, obviously, one of the ways is to use more renewable energy to locate data centers in places that are cooler, wetter, put them underground where temperatures are much easier to maintain for lower energy consumption. But the biggest way is probably to change the way that we look at artificial intelligence. Again, Mm. this is a rapidly emerging market. So we're just happily all going to uh, 
you know, OpenAI and ChatGPT and uh, typing in, you know. Make me a picture of a nice pretty flower. or Yeah, or what's the recipe for? And yeah. then it goes off to a data center and it costs a lot more in energy than we're actually paying for our mm. subscriptions on these services. Mm. So one of the things that has to change is the way we use AI, but also the changes in the models. So we're seeing the emergence. I think we did a story on this on Matt's Blend a few weeks ago um, of small language models. Mm. So using uh, AI models that are much smaller, I, I think there's actually a tiny AI movement mm -hmm. as well, which would enable uh, much smaller models which use a lot less energy but are a lot more specific. So uh, for a lot of companies, you have very kind of specific models or case uses that you want to use. So you can actually use localized models right. that are much smaller. Yeah. And also, as we move towards um, that future of edge computing, where we've got um, Internet of Things devices, and we want data to be analyzed uh, at source rather than everything sent centrally. Mm -hmm. Again, we can use this kind of technology, these smaller models, to analyze that data more efficiently and then send all of those results in. So we're not just sending everything into these massive data farms where it's consuming, as you said, however many terawatts of energy, which means absolutely nothing to, to anyone. Think of Holland. Yeah, e mm. exactly. Well, even then, how much energy does... Holland consume. It's it's very difficult. between eighty five and one hundred and thirty four terawatts. <laughs> exactly. So we we get into this this cycle of not really comprehending the figures that, right. that yeah. people yeah. Are, are giving us. But yes, um, again, this comes from um, the maturity in the sector. So I think over the next few years we will see. Uh, these kind of models evolving as we use big data centers for some things, we use localized models for other things, and it becomes a lot more energy efficient mm, mm. entirely. Uh, and of course, you know, creating AI chips that consume less power. Which is something we can talk about next after the message. Um, AI, uh, OpenAI has said they're considering developing their own AI chips. More on that in a couple of minutes. We're going to take a short break here on uh, Enterprise BizBytes, BFM 89.9. Boring, fake, macho. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Enterprise BizBytes. My name is Rich Bradbury. I'm in the studio with Matt Armitage. That, of course, uh, was Jimi Hendrix with Hey Joe. Just before the break, we were talking about uh, how the AI industry could use as much energy as the Netherlands, which, suffice to say, is a lot. But we'll just leave it at that. Um, and that discussion kind of led us into this next piece of news, which might be the last piece of news we have time for today. Uh, as Matt would say in uh, Matt's plain, do we have time for uh, a quick one? Uh, now, this is about how OpenAI have said uh, that they are considering developing their own AI chips. So they, uh, they're exploring various strategies, including in including acquiring an AI chip manufacturer already or designing chips internally. Uh, so they're kind of like, we don't know what we're doing just yet. We could buy somebody else. We might make our own. Um, but they currently rely on uh, GPU-based hardware. Uh, but that supply chain, as you know, is strained. They aim to scale their models like ChatGPT, as we've been discussing. And if they do that, uh, when they do that, they're going to require a heck of a lot more GPUs. Competitors, including Google, Amazon, and Microsoft, are all also working 
working on custom AI chips. And uh, OpenAI, despite their substantial funding, uh, faces a lot of challenges and risks in entering the hardware business. Uh, and it almost feels like this was something they were already setting themselves up to do. Well, we know that the OpenAI is kind of leading in that kind of consumer space when it comes to uh, AI with, with chat GPT. Yeah. However, some of the other companies have sort of stolen a march on them in terms of tying up the supply mm-hmm. of chips. Yeah. So we've seen companies like uh, Google, Microsoft, uh, AWS, all getting into this space of developing their own chips uh, before OpenAI. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, for OpenAI to scale, they need so many chips a year that one way to, to control them is simply for competitors to control yeah. the supply of the chips. And of course, we're in this very kind of uh, uncertain geopolitical era where it's not just about who you get your chips from, but also where they're manufactured mm. and where mm. those factories are, are locating. Mm. So we are seeing uh, this move to kind of uh, onshore production of uh, uh, of chips as as a national security resource as well. So we have all of these uh, competing uh, flows, if you like, for, for these chips. So for OpenAI to actually stay competitive, they probably will have to get into the market of uh, designing and manufacturing their, their own chips, chips simply to, to guarantee their own supply. Maybe this is where Skynet comes from. Maybe that whole concept of, you know, um, these conflicts, worldwide conflicts come because of, I can see you're, you're smirking here, but you know where I'm going with this, right? I, I do, but, you know, the, the <laughs> Skynet is already everywhere. So if they wanted to take over, they, they already could. If we get to the point where the machines are making the chips and can then program the next generations of machines. Yes, it does get a little bit uh, a little bit dodgy, but unless they've got uh, really good robots that can actually walk and mine the raw materials they need for the chips, I think we're still safe. Yeah, OK. Well, thank you for that, Matt. Um, of course, uh, Matt will be with us on the 19th. And of course, you'll, you'll be hearing him on Friday as well on Matt Splained when we have a topic of... Oh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll talk be about talking about browsing, browsing yes. yes. But, of course, that will be nano-mat rather than oh, uh, yes. real-life mat. Not the real-life mat. Right, of course, he will be joining us. Just a quick reminder then on the 19th for the Enterprise Breakaway. Panel number two, will AI and ChatGPT threaten or strengthen my business? Uh, we have on that same panel the uh, Chief Global Solutions Officer from the Aerodyne Group. We have the Program Director and Senior Lecture, uh, Lecturer of uh, Business and Law at Taylor's Law, Taylor's Law School. Uh, and then we have the uh, CTO. Oh, of the Hyadli group, uh, Tang Kui, Dr. Xia Chin Chin, and of course, Dr. Lim Yu Shuan. They'll all be joining us. Right, but don't go anywhere because coming up after the break, it is the, after the news rather, the Breakfast Grill replay. Uh, it is um, with Martin Ang, the director of Julie's Manufacturing. Do you enjoy eating peanut butter crackers? No, I absolutely hate peanut butter. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, they're coming up after the break. Uh, there's a high chance that you would have eaten Julie's biscuits. This Malacca-based local brand has become one of the largest biscuit manufacturers in the country and exports to over 80 countries. That's all coming up after the one o'clock news. Uh, just left uh, for me to say thank you, Matt, for joining us. And I'll uh, see you again, I guess, uh, Friday. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Come back. It has been Enterprise BizBytes here on BFM 89.9, the business station. 
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.